Society is formed through humans cooperating and the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Like when people get together and collaborate and cooperate, we produce something that is way more impressive and better than any single individual can produce. Hello there. How are you all? Did you have a good weekend? I'm not sure if any of you saw. I know not everyone likes my football team and me going on about it, but we had an amazing win. We won 9-0 in the league against Rawns. We're still top of the table, still looking very good. Anyway, welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini, the only place I am using for buying Bitcoin. I am your host, Peter McCormack, and today I am talking to Unchained Capital's Phil Geiger. Now, Phil has been involved in Bitcoin for many years, and he is as bullish as ever. And whether it's the confidence displayed in long-term holding, the robustness of the underlying protocol and its monetary policy, or its emergence as an integral part of energy production, or even the history of growing strength through years years of attacks, Phil reminds us that there is a multitude of reasons for why Bitcoin is going to continue well into the future. Following on from Parker Lewis, Phil is another person to get you deeply bullish on the future of Bitcoin. Now, if you've got any questions about this or anything else, please feel free to reach out to me. My email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. And just to let you know, I'm going to be catching a flight in a few hours. I'm heading out to California. got a bunch of things happening, including heading over to the Pacific Bitcoin Conference. I am, though, heading to San Diego for a couple of days first. After that, I'm heading to Vegas. I'm also going to be heading out to the Texas Blockchain Summit in Austin, back to Vegas, and then maybe a little trip to New York before I head home. It's going to be a very busy trip. Hope to see a lot of you Bitcoiners out there. Okay, onto the show, onto Phil. Hope you enjoy this one. Why do you love the huddle wave? The huddle wave is the history of Bitcoin and its decentralization over time. So it's a very complicated chart. There's a lot going on. But what's amazing about it is you get to see exactly how people have been behaving with their Bitcoin on the base layer. So what we're looking at is the black line is the US dollar price. Uh huh. All of those colored lines are different age bands of Bitcoin that have been living in Bitcoin addresses. So all Bitcoin live yeah, in addresses tracked by the blockchain, which is a database of all the transactions. Do we know which ones are lost here? We can speculate. Mm -hmm. The ones in the upper right-hand corner, the purple and blue ones, are very likely lost because those Bitcoin have been sitting at addresses for longer than 10 years. That's the purple band. Right. The blue band is 7 to 10 years. And so it's very likely that a majority of those are lost. And that kind of correlates with what people believe to be lost. So well, about you, four, four million, right? Yeah, something like yeah, that, yeah. two to four million. So yeah, what I really like about it is you can, you can see people's behaviors during the, the pumps and the dumps. So um, during like the 2017, 2018 run up to 20K, mm -hmm. you see some of those upper bands starting to contract, right? The, the light green band, which is the people who've been holding Bitcoin for three to five years, uh, sorry, the lighter green is two to three years. The darker green is three to five years. You start to see those getting smaller and smaller. And that's when those longer term hodlers likely started selling their Bitcoin. When Bitcoin hit 20K, they're like, wow, this is crazy. I've been holding since $80. I'm going to you know, sell it for some other currency and to improve my life. Buy a what, house. Was that? You buy, buy a house, house. Buy a car, whatever. Yeah, get a car, buy some chairs finally. The... <laughs> 
What's really cool about right now, um, so all the way to the right side of the chart, is our run up to 69K, what we didn't see was the large, the, the, the older age bands contracting as much. So if you look at the light green band and you look at the dark green band, mm-hmm. they didn't really contract. They kind of stayed uh, stable. And then now, uh, over the last month or so, they're actually starting to grow, which means, in my opinion, that the people who bought when Bitcoin was $700 were pretty unimpressed by this run to 69K. They're like, I'm not, I'm not selling my Bitcoin at 69K. This thing's going to a million or whatever. Uh, and so they didn't sell. So all of the, all of the uh, pump to 69K and the dump now down to 20K looks to me like it's come out of the newer Bitcoin. So the, the lower half of the chart, the yellow, the orange, the red. And those are all the, the DGENs at Coinbase yeah, uh, yeah. gambling on bored apes and uh, you know selling their Bitcoin for Luna and then uh, losing their shirts. Um, so the long-term hodlers here have been, I would say, bored by this last run up and uh-huh. just... No, I agree. I've been bored by it. 69K? Nah. Eh. Dude, we were promised like 100K, 200K, 300K. I was promised a foundational reset of the entire global economy. <laughs> uh, that's why I'm here. Uh, the the price in, in dollars is, is just kind of fun. It's something that I like to uh, pay attention to just because I, you know, I work in Bitcoin full time and definitely impacts our business. But for me, uh, I'm here for the long haul, and my UTXOs are starting to get uh, older and older and older, mm-hmm. and they will continue to get older. Do you, know, do you know what else this looks like? Remember painting by numbers? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it looks like it looks like right. You're gonna feel you're gonna paint uh, like a a rocky outback, and then you're gonna get catch the forest in the background and the sky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the Bob Ross of uh, Bitcoin, you know, just happy little bands. Yeah, I love it. Happy little UTXO bands. So what happens if, say, say I had like some Bitcoin in cold storage and I signed up to uh, Unchained and set up a multi-sig? Yeah. Those coins move. But then well, sold. you have to have coins. So what what you do when you sign up for multi-sig is my team, the concierge team at Unchained, will send you hardware wallets. We'll walk you through setting up the hardware wallets, building the most secure type of Bitcoin address, which is the multi-sig address. And then once you have that, it's your choice. You can either buy Bitcoin from us into your address, or if you've purchased Bitcoin somewhere else, you can then move it to your address. I didn't ask for a sales pitch, did I? <laughs> this is a sales pitch. Come on, man. You, you laid this one up for Dude, me. Yeah. <laughs> I would say, with this, I would say, if I move my coins, yeah, then are they considered moved here? Yeah. So if you yeah. have, so if you have coins at Coinbase, that's this is what I was trying to get to. Is yeah. like if if you have coins at Coinbase and you're like, I need to improve my security, you would have to move your coins into a new address, which would reset uh, the age of them. Right? Yeah. So this isn't entirely accurate because it could be people just moving coins. Well, it is entirely accurate for the movement of all the coins. Now, the rationale behind the movement, we don't know for yeah. certain yeah. exactly. So there's a lot of speculation, but I just think it's cool to see how, and you can start to see the waves of adoption over time. And what's interesting about right now is there's never been a time in Bitcoin's history where the Bitcoin has been sitting for 
a majority of the Bitcoin has been sitting for this long. So we're oh, really? at, yeah. So if you look at the yellow band, that's the one year yeah. age band. Uh, it's very thick, and it's starting to take up a majority. Like everything above that has been sitting for many years. It's not going anywhere. Yeah, that, that's the one year band, and uh, you can just see it kind of getting lower and lower on the overall chart, and that's because now about seventy percent of all Bitcoin has just been sitting for I think either longer than six months or longer than a year. Huh. It's very fascinating. Um, so all of the churn and the the price uh, speculation is happening with, in my opinion, exchange coins yeah. for the most part. It's like a smaller and smaller number of exchange coins are what's causing all of these price fluctuations. So how much do you think uh, we were affected by what happened with Terra Luna, Three Arrows, Celsius? Do you think that kind of do you think that destroyed a bull market that was going to continue? I don't think so. I think those. Do you think we were done? I think those primarily were destroyed by the Federal Reserve raising rates. Oh, okay. Like I think all of at this point, all of crypto is uh, low rate, you know, zero yeah, percent yeah. rate uh, malinvestment. And as soon as people start um, charging to you know loan you money, that's when all these crazy malinvestments stop making sense. Okay. So anything, I mean. Yes, the the Luna stuff, the three AC, uh, broader crypto is really reliant on people having way too much uh, cash on yeah, hand so that yeah. they can make crazy speculative investments, and that's one of the primary differences between crypto and Bitcoin. Is Bitcoin is another currency that you can save in for the long term, which is what we're seeing here. A lot yeah. of people are saving in it for the long term, whereas three AC, Terra Luna, those are all you know short term speculative, you know in a lot of ways, Ponzi scheme, Celsius. What hmm. was interesting about, well, you know, the, the Luna stuff is, is kind of interesting as well because it's like, this was marketed as a stable coin, right? <laughs> so there's a lot of people out there who are like, <laughs> or maybe not Luna, whatever, the I Terra, US, Terra, yeah. whatever. Uh, there's a lot of stable coins out there and people are kind of interested in them because they're like, oh, it's helping introduce crypto to the broader world. It's helping to give, um, you know, People without access to the dollar, access to the dollar. And in theory, that might be true. But in practice, what we see is these stable coins are anything but stable, right? They're centralized entities that have lots of additional risks. So you mean the algorithmic ones? Both. But even Tether? As, yeah. I mean, they, mm -hmm. they just keep hopping around to different jurisdictions trying to find uh, a place that they can, you know, issue their Tether. At some point, I think they're going to get clamp down on. There's like a systemic risk to Tether because it's centralized. Mm. So at some point, I think they're going to be shut down and then there's, you know, your stable coin is nothing. It's not stable. Yeah, that's a shame because uh, Alex Gladstein spends a lot of time explaining how useful these digital dollars on a, block, on a blockchain are. Um, I, you know, and I get it. They are useful, but they are also very risky. Yeah. And I, I actually think, so a lot of people look at Bitcoin they're like, it's very volatile. It's very risky. Bitcoin, in my opinion, is extremely low risk. You know pretty much exactly what you're getting. You're getting X percentage of 21 million. You can hold the keys to your Bitcoin and you can run a node and verify and nobody can inflate the supply. So I don't think it's very risky. Once you kind of understand what it is, how to use it, 
extremely low risk, very high volatility, mm. but I don't think volatility is necessarily risk. On the other side... Well, that depends on your lifestyle, who you are, where you live. You know, If you are living in a, a poor country and you have very limited money, mm-hmm. that is a, a significant risk to your ability to you know, feed your family. It's not a risk, though. It's like it, the volatility is maybe not palatable to you. Like, you shouldn't go out and slam all your life savings into this really volatile asset yeah. if you can't handle the volatility. No, of course. But, but if I'm, you understand that there's volatility, then it's... No, but it presents you a risk with being able to afford... Like, the volatility presents a risk to your ability to afford what you need for your family. It's not that the asset itself is a risk, but the volatility introduces risk into your life. I think that that's assuming that they need to have it right now. Well, most... Yeah, not most. I wouldn't know the numbers, but... I would expect a large number of people, perhaps billions, live hand-to-mouth. Yeah. And they're the people we most want to get out of the situation they're in because they're either living in jurisdictions with high inflation, authoritarian regimes, uh, uh, restrictions on what they can do and how they can trade. So they're probably some of the people who need it most. Definitely. But their ability to start using it and accepting it and having it in their life, it just, there is a risk. You know, if, if you're living hand to mouth. And if you're living in like Turkey, you got 80% inflation and your options are like Bitcoin, whatever the currency in Turkey is, the lira is it? Yeah. Like, or the like a US dollar stable coin, like the choice is pretty obvious. Yeah, I mean, in, in those... So, what is it? Depends. Well, what's, the, what's the obvious choice well, to you? Well, if you're living hand to mouth... So... It's the dollar. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that would make the most sense for somebody who is experiencing like hyperinflation right now. But again, like that's... That's a cohort of people who have been completely screwed by central banking. Like the absolute destruction of civilization and their society is because of central banking destroying the value of their life savings. Mm. So like while we do want to help, while Bitcoin can help these people over the long term, the damage has already kind of been done to them. And so they need an immediate uh, solution, right? Mm. They need something. They can't find a solution that's going to help them over 10 years, they need to find food today and tomorrow mm. for their family. And so you have to look at something else. But interestingly enough, like the US dollar right now is experiencing seriously high inflation, right? So yeah. even, even the dollar is becoming a riskier and riskier thing to hold because it's 8% inflation. That's the official term, right? In reality, it's double digits. Yeah, it depends, again, it depends where you are. I mean, the uh, the dollar has dropped uh, from 138 to the pound to so it's 112, I think, today, and it got as low as 105 to the yeah, pound. Yeah, I saw that. So um, it, it's a better asset. It was a better asset to hold than the pound. The king's pound. <laughs> I guess as well, it depends how quickly you're turning around your money. If you turn around your money really quickly, Bitcoin volatility doesn't really matter. Well, so when I was with um, Crypto Bastardo in... Venezuela, he holds Bitcoin, and all he does is every week transfers the amount he needs in Bolivar around. And he would explain to me, like, he says, even even when the price of Bitcoin is dropping, I'm going up in terms of the Bolivar because inflation is so high. So there are scenarios to work through it. Sure, um, but I think I think from a high level perspective, like the whole global economy, think of it as the Titanic, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's starting to break apart. And there's parts that have already broken off and are sinking. And then there's a few people kind of left. And there's this life raft called Bitcoin. And uh, you're in like a stormy, choppy sea. And Bitcoin's very volatile and it's bouncing all over the place. For the people who are still on the ship, like that might be a good option. Or you should start exploring the life raft. For the people who are already sinking, like 
I don't know, you have to figure out your, your hand to mouth at that point, like you're scrambling. It's a different situation. So that's, yeah. you know, while I really want Bitcoin to, and I think Bitcoin will deliver property rights and value to all 8 billion people in the world, but it's not going to solve all of their problems today. No, and what not. we can do is the people who still have resources, who are still able to uh, save in it, should start saving in it because that's when um, you can actually protect your purchasing power and avoid sinking. Did you see the Bangladesh news today? No. Search for Bangladesh blackouts. This is fucking crazy. I think this is just another signal, because when you said the, the Titanic is starting to break apart, you wait till you see, see this. Most of Bangladesh left without power after the national grid failure. So large swathes of Bangladesh were left without electricity on Tuesday after a partial grid failure, government officials said, and in the authorities work to gradually restore power to the country of 168 million people. 75 to 80% of Bangladesh appear, uh, experienced blackouts. Uh, and I think it was because the problem they were importing natural gas and the increase in the price of natural gas. Wow. I mean, Bangladesh is a poor country, couldn't afford it. That's like a whole country going offline. Of a population over double the UK, what's the population of the UK? 72 million? Uh, yeah, it's like high like, 60. That's more than double the population of the UK. It's going fucking offline. Yeah, it says insane. here 96 million people lost power. That's more than the UK. That's insane. I think Bitcoin has really taught me two very important lessons. One, don't fuck with the money. Mm-hmm. Two, don't fuck with the energy. Yes. It's crazy to me that in 2022, we have entire countries of 100 plus million people in the darkness when electricity was invented or discovered, you know, over 100 years ago. I think in what, the 1800s, 1700s maybe, 1800s? Maybe. And we've been innovating since then, but over the last maybe few decades, I feel like we've gotten significantly worse at energy production and power delivery and so on. Well, what would ben, why would Ben say that is? <laughs> where would he where would he go and point on a chart? I can guess. Which year? 1971. Yeah. Ah, he would go and point to 1971, but like quite interestingly, it was Elon Musk who came out and said, "What? We went to the moon in 1968. We've not been back and mm-hmm. I don't know the year. what year did you go to the moon? We didn't go. He didn't invite us." <laughs> yeah, you guys weren't invited. No. That makes sense. Yeah, we didn't go. I've seen what you guys do at Stag News. We, <laughs> we, we, we probably sent a probe <laughs> up to the moon at some point with uh, with our German friends or something. The last yeah. mission was 1972. Yeah, 1972. And But also people rightly pointed out, uh, when, when, when was Concorde? When did Concorde launch? 80s? I don't know. I know, introduced 76. 1976, so Concorde was introduced two years before I was born. Mm-hmm. And I'm an old fucker. Um, and we haven't had, like, they decommissioned them after the, the French, the Air France one crashed in. in was Paris. it in the UK? It was, was in Paris. Paris it was going to the UK. That was it. Weird plane to get from, it'll take about three minutes. <laughs> um, but yeah, so they decommissioned them, and we haven't had a, a supersonic check since. It's crazy. We're yeah. we're going backwards in a lot of ways. We are, and at the same time, we're seeing uh, inequality around the world increase, mm-hmm. and we're seeing power centralize. Yep. And I think that's the fiat system. So don't fuck with the money. Don't fuck with the energy. Don't fuck with the food as well. Yeah, that's I, energy. Human energy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I completely agree with you. I mean, we are. I've never known a time like this in the UK. It's. It's weird and a little bit scary um, just seeing what people are facing in terms of their energy costs, how we can suddenly go from a point where 
people's energy bills £1,000 a year to £5,000 a year, which would be, for some people, 50% of their income. Yeah. To just be able to do that in a matter of a month is super scary. That's n- nothing like that has ever happened in my life. I can't remember any, anything like that. It's a travesty. It's it's basic, uh, basic things to power your society, right? Literally to power mm. it. It's like you need to have the lights on to have functional hospitals. You need to have the lights on to stay warm in the winter. Just basic necessities and issues that we've solved 100 plus years ago are rearing their ugly hand head again as the currencies start breaking down. Well, there's a, there's a second layer to that as well because there's the lack of innovation, say, with nuclear. I think most people are generally agreed that um, the decommissioning of nuclear plants, the lack of investment in nuclear plants was naive. Uh, the Green Lobby was allowed to um, uh, essentially uh, petition for these, you know, this kind of anti-nuclear um, agenda uh, following uh, Fukushima and you know, various other things. So I think that's one thing. But another thing in the UK is that we sold off all our energy to the free market to be developed. And whether or not you are uh, believe in uh, the nation state, it is useful for a nation state to have energy security. I mean, the US kind of has it because you produce a lot of oil. We don't produce a lot of oil, we produce some. We don't really have energy security. We're buying all our energy from across Europe at the moment. Yeah, what do you mean when you say that the UK sold off their energy to the fr- Yeah, the so market? so I, I, we import a lot of our energy. Yeah. And that's just the way it is. We have like, what, three nuclear plants? Is it one in Hinkley? There's one in Sellafield as well. Yeah. Like we have like three nuclear plants. We We don't, you know, we used to produce most of our energy. I think it was coal-based. Yeah. But as we closed down the, you know, rightly so, because coal is disgusting and it could have been replaced with nuclear is coal more disgusting than freezing yeah but what i'm saying is there was there's there was no need to have to make that trade-off it you know if you're gonna if you're gonna uh, close down your coal plants and replace them with nuclear that makes sense it's cleaner but who was closing down the coal plants and and like who was selling Gosh, off the i mean the, was the, it these private companies or was it, it, no, it was enforced the by the government no it's the government because yeah. the government closed down all the mines didn't they wasn't under like I mean, I don't know much about this. Yeah, it's the. Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing as like the Dutch uh, farmers right now, right? Yeah. It's like the Dutch government is saying, "Oh, we want to, we got to cut nitrogen to meet these X, Y, and Z climate goals," and uh, it's not the farmers that are saying, "Hey, we need to really cut nitrogen." They're saying, "Hey, we can't produce enough food now, and so we're going to go on strike." So it's the same thing. It sounds similar to me. In the UK, you guys had energy security, and then some bureaucrat decided in order to meet or achieve some goals, which in hindsight probably were not achieved, we're going to shut down the production of energy in X, Y, or Z fashion because it's, you know, it's not fashionable today. And yeah, Marty uh, Ben would say those fucking central planners, and he's right. And now someone's being paid to pr- to pause the closure. Yeah. Well, so it's closure of coal power stations set to be delayed. Oh, so we still got coal power to present UK blackouts. They're probably um, spinning up coal at this point. Probably they probably are. Yeah, they yeah. probably are. Um, what I what I've also kind of realized. Or the way I think about energy is while we might not personally like one form of energy production over the other, the pricing mechanism typically does a really good job of demonstrating or elevating the type of energy that is the most efficient. So what Bitcoin uh, has taught me, and Bitcoin mining in particular, is that Bitcoin mining is actually a component of the energy production industry to help make energy production as efficient as possible. And that is 
the most environmentally friendly. If we're producing energy efficiently, then we are not wasting anything, right? It's not inefficient. Um, and the pricing system typically does a good job of demonstrating which is the most efficient, which is the cheapest. Hmm. So even but, though... But not, but not the most environmentally friendly. Uh, I do think it is the most environmentally friendly because if it's really expensive to produce this energy, then you have a lot of external inputs going into it. You have teams of scientists, you have all kinds of manufacturing and different production facilities. You have many orders of effects beyond just the actual burning of the coal so you or mean, whatever. You, you, you mean the whole supply chain to allow Absolutely. the production. Like, but, there's di- there's different, but there's different types of uh, ways you can measure environmental friendliness. So for example, um, if you are one of those people that believes which I can't believe I'm saying it like this, but uh, increasing carbon in the atmosphere is, you know, uh, will warm the planet and leads to uh, a change in climate, which I do believe. Um, that may be, it may be preferable to have something that has leads to more e-waste rather than increasing carbon in the atmosphere. Both are environmental issues. E-waste is an environmental issue. Um, carbon is a, an environmental issue, but you might have a preference over one because you know, e-waste. Okay, it might be preferable to bury e-waste or look into recycling over increasing carbon in the atmosphere, which has potentially catastrophic effects. But you're assuming that the production of the e-waste doesn't increase the carbon in the atmosphere. Oh yeah. So if you want to go like full, like yeah, you but you have to like map out the entire supply chain. Yeah, and that's, that's a lot of work. That's why we have to think from first principles, yeah. and we have to think about what's a signal that we can use to actually tell us what is the most efficient form of energy production and it's typically what is the most what is the cheapest what is the most affordable this show is brought to you by leaden from savings accounts to personal loans and even mortgages leaden's financial services enable bitcoiners to experience the benefits of their holdings today without selling their bitcoin now with the recent events in the lender market leaden demonstrated that their robust risk management strategy was the right approach They don't actively trade or invest in DeFi yield generation and have experienced zero losses as a result of their strategy. Ledin only supports Bitcoin and USDC, two of the highest quality and most liquid assets in the industry. They are also dedicated to transparency and are the first digital asset lending company to complete a proof of reserves attestation, which they will re-verify every six months. With multilingual support on standby 24-7, Ledin is there to support all your needs. And not only are Ledin sponsor, I'm also a customer of theirs too. So if you want to find out more, please head over to ledin.io, which is L-E-D-N dot I-O. Next up, we have Fidelity Investments. So one of the most regular emails I receive is people asking me how to break into the industry. And Fidelity Investments recently reached out to me as they are looking to recruit hundreds of digitally native associates to their team and help shape the future of money. Now, Fidelity Investments is a diversified financial services provider with more than $7.2 trillion in client assets under administration and over 1.3 million trades each day. And they have been pioneers in the Bitcoin mining and asset management space. They actually started in Bitcoin back in 2014 when they entered the mining space and have continued to grow their team and services. Their in-house fintech incubator is where their teams come up with innovative solutions to bridge the worlds of traditional finance and decentralization. Now you have the chance to join them and directly impact how they deliver financial services to their customers. And they will provide resources, training and development to make you successful in this emergent industry. 
You can learn more about this at crypto.fidelitycareers.com. That is crypto.fidelitycareers.com. Next up, it is Ledger. Now, recent events have highlighted just how important self-custody is, and Ledger is the smartest and easiest way for you to take control of your Bitcoin. And the world's most popular hardware wallet just got better. Ledger have recently announced the launch of their Nano S+. The larger screen makes it easier to manage and verify your Bitcoin transactions, and the Nano S Plus maintains the same high level of security as all other Ledger products. Now, I have been a Ledger customer since early 2017, before I even started this podcast, and I absolutely love the S Plus. If you want to find out more and purchase a hardware wallet from Ledger, then please head over to shop.ledger.com, which is S-H-O-P dot L-E-D-G-E-R dot com. Also, today we have BitCasino. Established in 2013, BitCasino was the first licensed Bitcoin casino, trusted by tens of thousands of players worldwide. Not only do they have cutting-edge security, but they have fast withdrawals and VIP experiences that money can't buy. With over 2,800 games and tournaments to compete against each other and 24-7 live chat support, BitCasino is the best online Bitcoin casino to find out more about BitCasino, the first casino to win an EGR award, head over to bitcasino.io, which is B-I-T-C-A-S-I-N-O dot I-O. And please remember to gamble responsibly. I would want to know if someone's actually done the work that correlates uh, the, the price of energy production with the total or the, the percentage of uh, increase of carbon in the atmosphere. Well, I think that there's a lot of people who have done a lot of work on that. And they have come to decide that, you know, and I'm not trying to pick on any one form of energy, yeah. but say like coal and gas and oil are bad and solar, wind, nuclear, et cetera, et cetera, are good. But the problem is since central planners have pushed us towards one direction, now we have people who are spending a majority of their income trying to heat their home. So there's unintended outcomes to any sort of like centralized planning that pushes you in one direction or another when the market is trying to tell you, hey, actually right now, natural gas is the most efficient way to power our homes or oil or hydropower. I'm not trying to pick one or the other, Mm. but just saying that the pricing mechanism, when there's no subsidies involved, does a really good job of telling people this is the most efficient type of energy that we can be using today. Sure, I'm still not buying the the, the price dictates. Uh, there's a correlation with carbon on the price on the entire. Well, I, we I can, would just need I need a yeah, receipt. We can look at we can we can and this is maybe the the Austrian uh, economic style of thinking, and I'm a, I consider myself a student mm. of Austrian uh, economics. But if you if you think about this scenario of a Bitcoin miner, right? Mm. You have an ASIC chip. You want to go. You want to be profitable. You want to earn Bitcoin. You need to go find the cheapest form of energy, right? So the cheapest form of energy is where you plug in your miner and you're profitable, even if you have a chip that's you know an S9, which is like five years old at this point. Uh, and so I do think that Bitcoin is a really good. Uh, it's a good teacher. It tells us, okay, this right now is the most efficient way that we can be capturing energy. So it's like. Um, you know, before China banned Bitcoin mining, the miners were migrating with the the rainy seasons because China had these massive hydroelectric dams that during the rainy seasons were way overproducing electricity. They were just mm. wasting energy that they had captured. And Bitcoin helps us to actually 
capture that energy, monetize it so that these companies can invest in more efficient energy production. Um, so yeah, I just think that the pricing mechanism does the best job of t- demonstrating what's the most efficient. No, I agree with that. Yeah. I, I fundamentally agree with that. I just don't think it correlates to carbon in the atmosphere. I just think it's the cheapest to produce. I think it correlates to carbon in the atmosphere because, again, the people who are working on the other types of energy, nuclear, like it might take 50,000 people working 10 years to build one nuclear plant. How much carbon have all those people been off-putting for 10 years before we can now turn on our nuclear plant and start seeing zero carbon emissions? Like, the, it's nothing exists in a bubble. No, of course, yeah. but like somebody has to do the work. There has to be receipts for this, otherwise it's speculation. Like, if there are no receipts for this, or so somebody's done the work... The pricing I, mechanism is the receipt, dude. Yeah, but the pri- <laughs> do, you, do you understand what I'm saying here, Danny? I do understand, but I think, I think you're talking at cross-purposes on some of this. Because I think, like, Phil's point is, if you charge a Tesla from, like, an electricity that's generated by a coal power plant, like, what are you really doing? Right. No, 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 no. You've harvested that, but, but, a bunch of heavy metals. You've, like, Tesla employs, you know, 100,000 people, and they've been engineering these cars for a decade, and then you plug it in, like... Yeah, but no, no, I understand what, you, what you're saying is that the, when people are looking at the energy mix and looking at green energy, they aren't considering the entire supply chain, okay? But... Or the outcome, even, I would say. Like, the outcome is, is, where, is what we're stuck with right now, where we have a global energy crisis. Bangladesh was left without power mm. for 168 million people. And I imagine, you know, I'm not familiar with Bangladeshi energy policies, but I imagine that they're playing the same game as many of the other countries are, which is trying to go one direction or another. Right? Yeah, but sorry, but the thing I'm not buying is, is the lowest price, uh, most efficient energy production is the one that produces the least carbon. Like, where is the correlation? I think it gets even more confused when you add in, like, government grants and subsidies. Absolutely. Of course, but but again, we, we're confused. The, the the question I'm asking is, how does the uh, efficiency of production dictate the um, the level of carbon that's produced? I don't see the correlation. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that there's a way. So I don't think any carbon measures are accurate today. First of all, okay. because how do you actually? So I, I was thinking about this uh, the other day. There was a which um, carbon measures? Any of them? Like okay. when a company when a company says, I'm carbon neutral, like, what does your company do? How many people does your company employ? Like, if you're making, if you're manufacturing plastic toys, right? (laughs) Like, our company was built to manufacture plastic toys. Can anything you ever do be carbon neutral? So it's like all these, you you can buy carbon offsets, but your whole company was established to manufacture plastic widgets, which produce carbon, which you try to sell to people, like this whole, I think this whole scheme of trying to measure carbon output is, um, it's, a, it's a racket. It's a, in a lot of ways like a shit coin, like carbon energy uh, credits. Like you can't accurately measure that. And it's totally dependent on what your industry is. And then that's also subjective. Like maybe I don't think that uh, this plastic you know, toy company should exist, but they're selling a ton of plastic toys to kids who are very happy and it's improving their lives. And so who am I to say this plastic toy company is, you know, producing a bunch of 
excess carbon that we don't need. Like it, it's all subjective. No, I, I think that, I think you're right. The measurement. Yeah. It's very difficult, and and setting what should and shouldn't be done is totally subjective. I agree with you that. I mean, we have the same experience as a Bitcoiner, where people talk about the uh, the uh, energy use of Bitcoin, and then you know, rightly so, a Bitcoiner comes say, uh, "Christmas trees." Well, the I think the biggest irony to me there is I truly believe that there is nothing better for the environment than humans adopting a form of money that encourages them to save instead of overconsume. Agree. Like, Brilliant. Yeah, I love it. Overconsumption is the cause of lots of additional waste and malinvestment. And again, mm. that's the subject, that's my opinion. But what I've noticed with myself is when I started saving in a form of money that can't be debased and actually increases in value over time, I'm a lot less likely to go out and buy a second jet ski, you know? I'm happy with my one jet ski. I don't need another jet ski. You do. What are we gonna ride? <laughs> ah, shit. You should have had three jet skis. I'll get you guys one of those. Uh, one of those like tri tricycle powered. Uh, <laughs> have boats. you got? Have you got a jet ski? Not yet. I'm, I'll probably go pick one up after this though, because that sounds fun. <laughs> you guys want to go later? Should we go what jet are you guys doing after this? I'm in. <laughs> We're good jet skis. Uh, yeah, I mean, I didn't bring you in to talk about this today, but. Uh, um, it's quite interesting. Um, we had Nate Harmon on the other day. Yeah. Uh, great guy. Uh, one of his jobs is to go up to one of the mountains uh, in Hawaii and take the measurements. And unambiguously, the carbon is increasing in the atmosphere at a massive rate. Uh, and he's, he's measuring this at the top of a volcano. No, no, no. But uh, there's, there's, a, there's a really good there's reason to yeah, like, yeah, like yeah. any. It, it's like the high. He was saying it's the highest mountain in the world. Like if you measure from the seafloor or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, uh, and it, and he goes to the top of the mountain, so he's out of any kind of like contaminated wind from LA or whatever it might be. So and, there was like a point to it. And his peers around the world are doing the same. Sure. And it's unambiguous that the amount of carbon in the atmosphere is increasing. Um, I, I almost find to the point that anyone who wants to argue against that must be being paid by somebody because. Uh, uh, the scientific readings are there. And he's also uh, unambiguous in his point that if you increase carbon in the atmosphere, you uh, increase warming. And he talks through the entire science of why uh, the planet warms, why it uh, retains heat. And if you retain heat, then there are consequences of that yep. for people on the planet. For me, like, the, this is unambiguous. Sure. But what we do about it, or whether we do anything about it, I think is a fair area for discussion and debate. You know, I agree with Alex Epstein, the rapid reduction in fossil fuels has severe consequences. Um, but I do think also not having some kind of transition to less carbon intensive energy sources will also have other consequences that are very hard to predict, but could, could be quite severe depending on your socioeconomic situation. And I, th I think... We've got ourselves in a position where people argue one end and not the other end, and we kind of need to meet in the middle and like find the answers to these issues. Um, but we certainly there will be consequences if we continue increasing the burn of fossil fuels for decades ahead. I subscribe to the Bitcoin astronomy perspective of energy production, mm -hmm. which is that I want humans to be able to harness the power of our star the sun, yeah. and so that we can go interplanetary and settle the solar system. And in order for us to get there, we're going to have to harness and generate and capture orders and orders and orders of magnitude more energy than we're already producing and capturing today. So I think getting there 
uh, we will have so much innovation. Like once we start harnessing additional energy at levels beyond what we can even comprehend today, uh, the amount of innovation that we're going to be able to produce will be, you know, it's unknowable, but also massive. And I do think that this, that this effort of harnessing more energy will actually help us to solve these problems that we're having with carbon in the atmosphere, if you believe that that's like yeah. something that we can solve. You're which, talking about type two civilizations. Oh yeah, Kardashev type two. By the Kardashian scale. <laughs> the Kardashian scale. Yeah, we call it the Kardashian scale. <laughs> we were doing it the other day. Do you know how high that scale goes up to? Uh, I think it's three, right? No. But, oh, really? Oh, we're going to blow your mind in a minute. Oh, God. <laughs> well, I think it does go up to three, but some fucking kook on the internet has made it go up to like 20 or something. No, no, no. It got up to 35, and then it went to eye, and then brain. <laughs> We've got to show you this. This shit's wild. No, I think the Kardashian scale goes up to a six now. Does it? Yeah. But it goes um, up to Chloe. I think... <laughs> <laughs> but I think, like, Nate would 100% agree with that. Like, And his point is yeah. that the ocean... It harnesses like I think we said forty percent of the. They can harness forty percent of the world's total energy from the ocean. Um, and and the other thing that is like kind of to your point is I don't know if he said it on the show or when we were hanging out after, but he was like I don't give like in some ways he doesn't give a fuck about arguing with these people. He just wants to beat them at market because he can offer cheaper energy. Yes, yes, and and that's like by harnessing and producing significantly more energy, we're driving down energy costs. We're becoming more efficient mm. at energy and like. If he can produce, uh, you know, an order of magnitude more energy by harnessing the ocean and it doesn't directly offset carbon, although the research and development in order to get to the point where you can harness the ocean's energy is going to produce carbon, then that's great because humanity wins. We, we have more energy. It's cheaper. We don't have to spend half of our life savings on warming our home in the winter and we don't have 168 million people in Bangladesh mm. without the lights on, Right. Like this is a yeah. positive outcome. So like harnessing more energy should be, or in my opinion, is a very noble goal for people to be doing. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah. And and one of the things that was never really clear to me until you one of those things you don't you're not clear until you see it, right? You never I never really thought about uh, the impact of energy prices on the economy because we've always had stable energy prices. I've never had to think about uh, the impact of having a volatile currency until I went to a country and saw it, right? Yeah. I mean our British pound shitcoin has you know, decimated over like the 300 years as it existed, but it's relatively stable year to year. 2% inflation, you barely notice it, right? Even 8% inflation is annoying, but like survivable. It's only when you go to someone like Venezuela and you, you see, you literally see what the impact is for hyperinflation, you realize it's a different world. Slightly increasing energy prices, you don't really think about it. When you suddenly see a massive increase in the energy prices as people can't get to work, yep. or yeah, the the example I gave the other day was this bakery, this bakery, uh, a centralized bakery that uh, uh, bakes goods for a number of cafes, but they also had three of their own cafes. The energy prices went so high that they couldn't afford to keep the cafes open, so they only have the centralized place now. So they just instantly had to close down three businesses. Now other companies have a choice: they swallow the cost, which they can only do for a certain period, or they increase their prices. Prices go up, more inflation. So the the impact of energy on the economy, on the productivity of the economy, on GDP, was never something I thought about until till now. And now I realize, yes, absolutely, we need to produce as much cheap energy in the world as possible to make people as productive as possible to lift themselves out of poverty. That's and right. Alex Epstein actually says that, yep. and he's, he's, he's fucking right. Well, when, when you lift yourself out of poverty, then you have the ability to spend more time on solving bigger yeah. issues. 
right? If 8 billion people around the world are struggling to feed their families tomorrow, like we can't actually solve the larger issues of the world, right? Like if we, mm. if you think that uh, we can actually solve this carbon issue without either making it worse or destroying the planet, then we have to be able to like heat our homes and have our basic needs taken care of so that it's like a higher order uh, problem to solve. I think the blip in this uh, time is, is the, the nuclear problem. I think if we to continue to develop nuclear and t- continue to expand nuclear, I don't think this would, all of this would ever have been an issue. But I think it is. I mean, we found out the other day, what, 54 nuclear plants in France? Yeah. 32 in a state of disrepair? I, mean, I, no I, I don't know if they're in a state of disrepair. They're just down for maintenance. But I mean, I don't, that's a lot. That's, I mean, it's a lot. And all I mean, at once, it seems. If, you, if a nuclear plant is down for maintenance, that's in a state of disrepair. And if there's 32 of the 54, that suggests that something's been neglected, if you ask me. But to me, that is the blip in all of this. Um, you know, I, we should be largely beyond fossil fuels for, I think, providing energy to the grid. Yes, it's. Yeah, you know, we, we've needed it for cars and planes, and we probably will never replace it for planes. But you know, the U.S. just launched uh, an aircraft carrier that was that's a nuclear uh, aircraft carrier. So we've harnessed the power of nuclear in vehicles as well as. You know, but I mean, generation. so that's like the perfect example of where, uh, like, like we we've invested you know decades and decades and decades into producing a warship. Powered by nuclear energy, yeah, like the carbon output of that, like war machine, is astronomical. And like now, now that we have this gigantic ship that's running on nuclear, like is that good for the environment? Like no, <laughs> why? Why not? Because it's it's a it's a machine of war. It's it's you know, built I mean the machine of war. Like, I'm talking about the, just the carbon output of an aircraft carrier that is uh, uh, that is powered by. I want fewer aircraft carriers. No, of course, yeah. no, no, of course. <laughs> but I'm, all I'm talking about is the fact that they've harnessed the energy of nuclear power to power that. Like, which by the way always weirds me out as well because you, you're you know you're made to fear nuclear, mm-hmm. but you can actually power um, an aircraft carrier or a submarine with nuclear power. But the point is, it's like we've harnessed these technologies. And now we've just kind of like let them go, and we're in this you know, situation now, which is <sighs> currency yeah. collapse is a real bitch. Energy collapse is a real bitch. Uh, cur- t- currency is what coordinates the extraction of energy, and right now uh, the energy is it's we're not extracting it, and yeah. harnessing it very well, and we're blowing up pipelines which distribute energy across Europe. Um, mm. uh, but an energy crisis and a currency crisis at the same time is quite the fucking mix. Well, I you know, Bitcoin it's money and it's energy at the same time. It's it's the marriage of the two, energy money, right? Yeah. And so I think maybe uh regardless of how your currency is secured, your currency is always a form of energy. Mm. It's always like the output of delivering value of human energy in action. You should save that value that you've produced in a form of money and regardless of how that money is saved or secured like energy has always been expended to achieve it yeah i don't want to let you off completely on this um fossil fuels thing yeah i do, I do just want to finish off because it is an evolving understanding that people are having that certain people have brought new information to the table but um i think the unknown area is that if we continue to burn fossil fuels as we are and we continue to increase carbon in the atmosphere 
what are the consequences before we transition away from that? Uh, we are seeing the consequences of an increase in carbon in the atmosphere. The planet is warming up quicker than it would, and I know some people say it's always been warming. No, it's not warmed at the rate it's warming now, and there are consequences for that. We we don't fully know the impact of that. Now, the those who have catastrophized it have obviously... Um, They've not done a great PR job for what they're, you know, the cause they're trying to support. But there are significant risks of a massive increase in warming. There are significant risks of increase in sea levels. I mean, we do have an increase in sea levels. And there is a significant increase to people living in coastal regions. But we don't know, the, we don't know when these consequences hit. It might not be us. It might be my grandchildren that suddenly hit with a different scenario. Sure. We don't know these. And I, I, think, I think it's only right for the smart, right, intelligent people who aren't being lobbied, just do the right research on what will be the impact on the environment if we do continue to increase carbon in the atmosphere. Because that's the bit we've always struggled to find good data on. There's good models on on um, the changes in temperature if we continue to increase carbon, but nobody's done uh, any particularly good work on the impact of that. That's the bit I've struggled to find. The way I think about it is... <clears throat> fuck them. No. <laughs> uh, I think that this it very well could be a, uh, a crisis or a real problem. We don't know how it will manifest. We don't know when it will manifest. I've heard lots of predictions over the years that have proven to be false. What we do know for certain is what happens when you try to push uh, a civilization to a form of energy that isn't as reliable quickly. Mm -hmm. We have evidence and certainty about how societies collapse and the suffering that it causes. Yes. We think that there will be a problem in the future, right? We have certainty. If you move off of fossil fuels today and you try to go full wind, solar, whatever, like you're going to be in the darkness in like Bangladesh. We believe that there might be a problem in the future. It's just like it's like an unwinnable situation. I think what we can do is try to remove what I would say is remove all the subsidies, get a real market yes. price. Well, first of all, hold on. Even for oil. Hold on. First of all, step back. Foundationally reset the entire global economy on a sound money. Okay. Step one. Then when we have real prices again, because we don't have real prices right now, our prices of everything are heavily, heavily manipulated by what Jerome Powell is feeling uh, in, on a given day. Once we have real prices, you'll be able to see what is the most efficient way to produce energy. We will produce energy that way. And the people who are the most profitable at producing energy will have additional resources to invest in getting more efficient at producing energy, right? Bitcoin mining helps us get there because any excess energy that's generated, you can just mine, right? Just offload to the Bitcoin network. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of my 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 strategy here. Is uh, first of all, rip out the Frankenstein financial system with a bunch of different hundred whatever different currencies that are all collapsing. Replace it with sound money. Yes, we have real pricing mechanism. So we can see now with much greater clarity what's the most efficient way to produce energy. Invest in that. You should go and get Jerome Powell's job. Yeah, you know, I I, I should just call him up. You have massive <laughs> Yo, conviction on this, right? Okay, so do you think do you think if we um 
replace the the world's global currencies on sound money yes and have proper accurate pricing uh do you believe therefore what is the role of the state in this or is it see you later no we have to have an entity that has a monopoly on violence like there must be wow the, okay absolutely statement. like okay no no I'll, I'll tell you why this is interesting, because... But uh, I, you didn't let me finish, but go okay, ahead. Okay, no, yeah. no, no, actually, you finished. It's just, no, because this debate hasn't really come up. And I've wanted to hear this, because certain people would argue that it's morally wrong for someone, an entity, to have the monopoly on violence. But I've also heard the argument that if somebody has a monopoly on violence, there is less violence. So the way that I think about it is, uh, so first of all, the way that governments work today is out of control. Yes. Um, they're way too large and they're way too um, abstracted away from like the local, your local community. So there, in my opinion, there's certainly, you need to have some form of protection. Um, and I don't subscribe to the 100% homesteader, self-sovereign mountain man out in the woods method because... Um, Statist. Society is formed through humans cooperating, and the sum is greater, or the, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Like when people get together and collaborate and cooperate, we produce something that is way more impressive and better than any single individual can produce. And so we need hierarchy. What you need to have in order to maintain the peace in a civilization is some entity that uh, that yeah, it basically it it's the just a justice system. You need to have laws. You need to have people who enforce those laws, and you need to have consequences for breaking the laws. Um, so I do believe that that civilizations have historically formed in this way because it's the best way to form a civilization. We've never built a society on top of a sound money, which I think will really change the dynamic. Like the communities will all be much more local. Um, politics will be much more local. And um, I don't had, think we've had close to a society built on a sound money when we had the gold standard. That's close, close but, but gold is... But we understand the difference in productivity and the accuracy we're pricing when we did have a gold standard. I would say that we didn't have sound money. So gold is not a sound money. Um, it's close. It was the best that was available, yeah. but it's not sound because it's physical and we have it has an unknown total supply. So if you think about money as a ruler. Like money is a tool that allows you to store and communicate value. It allows you to measure the value of your output and purchase goods and services, which is the output of others, right? It's like a, it's a tool. Mm -hmm. um, we've never had a tool that is an accurate measurement of output until Bitcoin, because Bitcoin has a supply of 21 million. It's fixed. It's set. Oh, no, no, even I mean, gold, I agree with you. Gold. I'm just saying we had closer to it. We could, yeah, yeah. we could, you know, even though it wasn't a sound money system, it was closer to a sound money system. And again, Ben Prentice will point to 1971 and he will say, look at the difference. Look what happened when, look at look what happened when we came off the gold standard. Mm -hmm. So we, all we've done is get further away from a. Well, the problem, yeah, and that's like coming off of the gold standard is an inevitability with gold because it's physical and because it has an unknown total supply. You can't verify how much gold you have. Well, and it's easily. centralized. Well, it centralizes yeah. because it doesn't scale for a global society. Like we can't uh, travel to different 
solar systems on gold using gold as our money. Like we can't travel to different planets even because it's you, you can't lug around like piles of gold. You keep dipping into Druves. I just been I just been thinking about space recently. Yeah, I love Druves articles. Great. Yeah. Um, okay. Fine. So we how 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 do we reestablish on? No, hold on. Where were we? You were in the middle of something. You were asking Phil about like what the society he. He envisaged will be yeah. Like, oh, so yeah. the so the monopoly on violence, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, a, a lot of uh, Austrian thinkers have written about the role of government in a society. Uh, Mises wrote uh, a lot about that, and I, I really, I think it's, I think it's correct. I think, first of all, from the first principle of like, you know, the the ultimate sovereign individual just cannot produce as much value as a collection of people working together. Yes. So civilizations grew because it's more efficient, it's better, it delivers more prosperity. And uh, human nature is such that if you can cheat, you will cheat. (laughs) Maybe not a given individual, but in a collection of individuals, somebody is going to uh, take a shortcut somewhere. Um, and so I do think that you need to have rule of law and you need to have a system of government. I, I, again, I just think like this uh, federal system around the world or these federal systems are um, hugely inefficient. They're bloated and they don't work very well anymore. And the only reason that they're sustained is because uh, they have the power of the printing press. So that's that's my two two sats on that. Like there will be government. It'll be much more local. Uh, the The local governments will be or the local civilizations will be much more prosperous. This show is brought to you by Gemini, who I am using for buying and selling Bitcoin, but I'm only buying now. It's a buying time. We're holding right. I'm also using the Gemini app for buying the dips, and I set up my DCA with twice monthly buys of Bitcoin. Both the app and the website make buying and selling Bitcoin super easy, and Gemini has invested in building industry-leading security since day one. Gemini is also running a special offer for listeners of What Bitcoin Did, all you need to do is head over to Gemini.com forward slash WBD and new customers will get $20 in Bitcoin when they trade $100 or more on Gemini. Now, if you want to find out more, please head over to Gemini.com forward slash WBD. That is G-E-M-I-N-I.com forward slash WBD. Next up, it is the BCB Group. Now, BCB Group provide online business banking services for companies in the Bitcoin industry. And yes, I am a customer of BCB too. They heard about my difficulty with finding a payment service provider that understands Bitcoin, and they reached out to me. Now, BCB's clients include major exchanges, market makers, funds, and miners active in the UK and Europe, but they are expanding globally. They also have this amazing network called Blink, which facilitates instant free payments between BCB clients in all supported currencies. Now listen, I know some of you have had trouble with this too. So if you are looking for a banking provider who understands and supports Bitcoin companies rather than creating hurdles, then like me, you will want to become a BCB customer. Now if you want to find out more, please head over to bcbgroup.com forward slash Peter, which is bcbgroup.com forward slash Peter. Next up is Wasabi. Now Wasabi is what I'm using to keep my Bitcoin private. With the release of Wasabi 2.0, Bitcoin privacy is now effortless as a wallet has introduced privacy by default. Rather than having to choose to coin join, this can all be done automatically, so you just need to receive your Bitcoin, wait for the coin join, and then you can spend freely. Or the magic happens automatically in the background, 
which was a massive UX improvement. You also get additional privacy through Tor integration into Wasabi, so you don't leak your IP address. There is also no minimum denomination, so you can coin join any amount, and there is no more change, so any amount you receive from a coin join is private. Privacy is something I've been taking a lot more seriously recently, and Wasabi 2.0 makes it so easy. To find out more, please head over to wasabiwallet.io, which is W-A-S-A-B-I-W-A-L-L-E-T dot I-O. Also, today we have the Texas Blockchain Council. Now on November the 17th and 18th, the Texas Blockchain Council is putting on the Texas Blockchain Summit in Bitcoin country, Austin, Texas. This event will be two days of thought leadership for Bitcoin. Day one is all that any Texas Bitcoin miner could ask for. Top Bitcoin CEOs and their teams will be hanging out in Austin. Day two is where we will hear from top policy leaders in the US, both federal and state legislators, senators, House of Representatives, and CFTC commissioners. So what more could you ask for? Now, I'm not just promoting this. I will be attending the event in Austin, hanging out with my Texas Bitcoin buddies, and interviewing a very important person. So make sure you book your ticket and check out this event. And also, if you come along, come say hello. It'd be good to meet some of you. To find out more, please head over to TexasBlockchainSummit.org. That is TexasBlockchainSummit.org. Org. I mean, I completely agree with you, um, but there are a lot of people in Bitcoin who wouldn't agree with you and don't agree with you. Uh, Jack Mozuko would say millions of people uh, interact with each other voluntary every day, and we do not need any form of monopoly on violence. I, I mean, I think that's a that's also a perspective. Like, I can't. I mean, if he feels that way, then that's that's kind of Giacomo's perspective. I just think like y- you you. You have to pay someone for security or you have to secure yourself. And I don't subscribe to the mountain man, you know, in the woods, like with a huge arsenal and homesteading. Like, it's just not the society I want to live in. I want to live in a nice community where I can trust my neighbors and like, uh, yeah, maybe I can defend myself. But on the whole, like we have to hire somebody to defend us because I can't specialize in defense. I need to specialize in, you know, helping people hold their keys. Like that's the division of labor. And I think that that's what civilization's built on. So yeah, I would happily pay somebody for uh, protection. So how fundamental to this is 21 million? It's everything. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's the reason that we're here talking today. Um, Bitcoin is the discovery of digital scarcity. It's the, it's the permanent solution to this idea of inflation or printing money. The unfortunate side effect of Bitcoin is that people who don't understand that the innovation was removing the printing press from the hands of everyone view it as, oh, now I can become a central banker, right? So the broader crypto scene is people who want to be their own central bankers. Bitcoin and Bitcoiners are the people who understand that we've got to separate money production from the hands of any given individual uh, so that we can all use this neutral currency and it can accurately store value over time. And it's a non-negotiable for you. We know. because 21 million is, is non-negotiable. So the, I wrote a couple articles a few yeah. years ago about this. And the reason I wrote uh, these articles was really a few few reasons. Like, first of all, a lot of crypto marketers will compare their currency, 
their currency's inflation rate to Bitcoin's inflation rate because every 10 minutes, 6.25 Bitcoin are released through the process of, of processing transactions, which we call mining. That categorization is totally wrong. Like Bitcoin does not have inflation. Bitcoin has a supply of 21 million that is released on a fixed schedule that we can all verify on our home computers. So, so they already exist. I believe that they already exist. Yeah, I know and I think you about it, told me about this last Yeah, month. so I think about it as your mom bakes 21 cookies and you get one cookie every 10 minutes for doing your math homework. <laughs> this is how I got like this. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like you don't have control of all the cookies yet, but do the cookies exist? Yes. If hmm. If somebody comes in and says, actually, I have another 21 million cookies, like those are a different set of cookies. So I, I need to ask a couple of technical questions on that. Sure. Then. So at the point where a block is found, yes, and uh, the Coinbase reward is created, and is a UTXO created at that point? So like, if yeah, I, I don't understand this part. Y of yeah. That so thing. when the Coinbase, uh, when the when a block is discovered, yeah, uh, the the mining pool uh, that discovers the block is issued. Um, the 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 subsidy and yeah, it's issued as a UTXO. So the UTXO is created at that point. The UTXO, uh, yes, is created at that point. So I don't think they, all, I don't think all twenty one million exist then. So they have to already exist because we know that the supply is twenty one million, and then we also know if the schedule has been broken. So if if a miner finds twelve point five Bitcoin at the next block. Like, we know that that's invalid. That's not Bitcoin. That's a hard fork. Yeah. Right? But how do we know that it's a hard fork if the Bitcoin doesn't already exist? We already know that there's 21 million. We know exactly how they're released. Uh, and if anything about that schedule changes, that's a hard fork that we can claim and sell for more Bitcoin. So I'm going to argue back with you that I don't think they exist. Because I heard about, I was thinking about this quite a bit last night. Okay. Okay. So I understand your point in that there's can only be 21 million. And then every 10 minutes, you know, these are issued out to the pool or the lucky solo miner. Um, but my argument is, is that you can only identify uh, Bitcoin by UTXOs. And therefore, those, um, those Bitcoins that haven't been issued yet, because that don't have a UTXO, so they don't exist. But the software only allows uh, 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 Bitcoin to be issued up until the point it hits 21 million. But we know exactly where those Bitcoin are living in future blocks. Like you can pick any block in the future, and I can tell you how much Bitcoin lives in the Coinbase reward there. And what we don't know is the existing UTXO set, how that's going to move. Like the HODL waves is how we kind of see the existing UTXO set and how it moves over time. We have very little clarity. Like Satoshi could, you know, market sell his one million Bitcoin uh, for uh, Ethereum proof of stake. You know, tomorrow seems a little unlikely to me, but they could, right? Um, because they have the keys to it. The UTXOs are under the controls of their keys. What Satoshi can't do is, I don't know what block we're at, but five blocks from now, change uh, the six point two five subsidy to something else. But that's to me. That's the rules that says what Bitcoin can be created at that point. The rules say they don't exist yet, but they say they can be created at that point. When that block is created, the consensus rules pass, and those Bitcoin are created. I, again, I don't know the technicals of how, what, or what part happens when they're created, but the UTXOs are issued at that point. 
therefore, once the UTXOs are issued, then that Bitcoin exists. So I think of it as uh, again, like the like Bitcoin is the software that we run yep. on our computers, and it's the private keys we hold to our Bitcoin addresses, mm -hmm. and the software we run uh, the node like has the roadmap laid out. It has all 21 million Bitcoin and exactly when they're going to be released in which block. And so I think that if you understand how this system works, you can just assume that all 21 million Bitcoin exist and uh, you can profit from that information. Like miners out there are not like investing in massive mining infrastructure you know, with the knowledge that this this thing could change, like they they're doing it because oh, no, I agree. it's fixed. They they understand that there will only be twenty one million Bitcoin, and so it's just better to think of them as already existing. Uh, the other thing, so again, the reason that I think that it's it's important to think like this, and it's very esoteric. I know, but <laughs> uh, when when shitcoiners are marketing like, oh, Ethereum is now ultrasound money because it's issues less, you know, per day than Bitcoin, like. That's insane. You can't, first of all, you can't change something to become more sound. That's an oxymoron. Number two, like you don't know the ultimate supply of Ethereum. You don't know the ultimate supply of gold. You don't know the ultimate supply of really any currency because none of their supplies are credible. With you don't Bitcoin, even know the current supply. <laughs> exactly. With Bitcoin, you know that there will only ever be 21 million and you know exactly how they're going to be unlocked uh, or issued. So I just think um, switching your mindset into understanding that they already exist helps you to understand sound money principles and helps you to understand why uh, broader crypto is, in my opinion, a scam. Yeah, no, I, I, I can understand the mind switch. I just don't agree they exist yet. What do you think, <laughs> Danny? Do they exist? The, I just, I don't really see why it matters. Like, either way. Uh, not the 21 million, but like whether they already exist or they're getting unlocked over time, like it makes no real difference. I think the idea for like a marketing side of things is really good in the terms of like clarifying the difference, but it makes no difference, does it? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, if that's the only reason, then that's a good reason because you have these idiots out here marketing Ethereum as ultrasound money, yes. which is there's nothing even remotely minimally sound about it. Mm hmm. And they're looking at this one metric and saying the inflation rate is what makes it ultrasound money. And they're like, look at Bitcoin's inflation. It's, you know, whatever percent per year, one point something percent per year. The way I look at it is, no, Bitcoin's inflation is zero. Because it's always been zero. The supply is fixed. It's the only currency that has ever existed that has a fixed supply. All other currencies don't have a fixed supply. Even even the other cryptos that say that they have fixed supply, they're centralized and so it can be changed. And there's plenty of examples of all of those other cryptos changing. And then the fact that then the innovation of Bitcoin is the discovery of digital scarcity and broader crypto is a is just proof that things that are digital are extremely easy to copy. Like you can copy Bitcoin's mm -hmm. code base, change a few things here or there, launch your own currency. You've proven that things that are digital are typically not scarce. But what you can't do is create more than 21 million Bitcoin. So I see your point now that there's an inflation rate at zero. Yeah. It's just a there's just a release schedule. It's a schedule. It's a schedule. Yeah. 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 So then so then the second article I wrote That's actually a really good point. And I can see the benefit there then explain it to people because another thing I was discussing with Parker 
um, yesterday was that uh, my way of explaining Bitcoin to people is evolving. It's moving from telling them what Bitcoin is to telling them what is wrong with fiat money and then what Bitcoin solves. Now, I think it's going to be far easier to say there is an inflation rate of zero and there's 21 million and there's a release schedule than to say there's this inflation rate and every four years there's a halving. And like, because you have to get into all the difficulty, you have to get into all this other shit you don't need to get into. That right. just makes it easier. I get it. So then, I think you're wrong. But I, <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy, uh, do they already exist? Yes or no? No. Oh wow! But 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 I I'm agreeing with you. It's a useful thing to say, and I'm going to use that because sometimes it's better to do it that way. All right. Well, I've changed maybe one mind, or at least I've tipped the needle a little bit. You tipped the needle. For so me. the other the other reason that I wrote. Uh, this the first article and the second article is when you understand that uh, there will only ever be 21 million Bitcoin because Bitcoin is in fact the supply of 21 million. Like you can't separate the two. You then realize that the other marketing angle that a lot of crypto and shitcoin founders will take is this idea that at some point in the future Bitcoin will be unsecure. It's it's one of the most regular emails I get. Yeah, yeah, it's. Uh... What happens in you know, three halvings time if the Bitcoin price are at this point, and uh, you know, we we have a you know a much lower hash rate, yeah. you know, are we less secure, and you know, what if that is a trend? Like, can you get somebody on to talk about this? And I'm like, we can't make a whole show on that, but it is a question that comes up a lot, and it's a really tough question to tackle because I don't think that the answer is what people want to hear. So the way that I think about this is: is Bitcoin secure today? Deal with it at the time. Well, is it secure today? Yes. Uh, was it secure five years ago? I mean, I don't think you can say whether it is binary secure. Exactly. Yeah. Is it still alive? Yeah. So then it was secure five years ago. Yeah. No, I think I think what you can do is you can you can calculate the cost. You can do a couple yeah. of things. You can calculate the cost of now uh, how much hash power you have to. Uh, I think that that's the wrong approach, personally. But, 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 but yeah. just bear with me. You know, to be able to attack it, okay, you have to be able to do that. But then you also have to rationalize the actual process of being able to accumulate that hash power, which is even more likely. So, you know, when somebody says, well, you need $20 billion of mining, yeah, fine. Oh, well, somebody's got $50 billion, they can do it. But yeah, but you can't actually go and accumulate the hash power. And if you do, other people will start accumulating hash power. So I think I think you can you can create a risk model Okay, but how much hash power there is, how much do you need, you know, how easy is it to get it? Because look at BCH or BSV, you could very easily accumulate that hash power and you could destroy those networks, right? Very easy to do. With Bitcoin, it's close to impossible right now. So that's the way I think of it, like how risky, like what is the risk model rather than the cost? So I think about it as the network security is discovered on the free market. So it will only like, and the fact that it's alive today, 13 years after its founding, is proof that the incentives to secure it are were, were set up correctly. Um, so Bitcoin's hash rate was, you know, what a quarter of what it is today, five years ago, but it's here today, and the hash rate is now at an all-time high. What hasn't changed throughout that time is that there will only ever be 21 million Bitcoin. The other thing to think about, and I, I, I never. I think anyone who's doing any sort of modeling using the U.S. dollar is uh, 
is on the wrong path because the, the value of the dollar is constantly changing. The value of Bitcoin is constantly changing. You have to take those as, as things that are going to continue to be true forever with Bitcoin. The value of the currency is always going to change, even when it's globally adopted by 8 billion people, um, because people are exchanging it constantly. So what I look at is, is there incentive today to invest in Bitcoin mining or invest in securing this thing. And the incentive is, if it, is it profitable to actually do that? And the answer is unequivocally yes. Like large companies around the world are investing massive amounts of capital into mining Bitcoin because it's a profitable endeavor. And it will always be true because Bitcoin mining is actually part of the energy production industry. It's not part of, it's not like this own, its own like carve out industry. It's like part of energy production is that you have to balance the amount of energy you're producing with the amount of demand uh, for the energy. And you can never perfectly balance it. And so you're always going to have a scenario where, you know, you produce too much energy and demand doesn't uh, quite meet it. And you need to do something with that energy or waste it. So today, when we look at energy production, especially in the renewables, there's a lot of times when uh, the supply and demand are yeah. out of whack. And so they have to shut down production. So like I was reading a statistic about wind energy that said that in California, I think in like 2018, 2019, 17% of the time they're shutting off production of energy. They're producing way too much wind energy than they can deliver to the grid. Well, what if you had a tool that would always buy your wind energy? But it's only going to buy the wind energy, buy it, if it can mine Bitcoin sure, or enough Bitcoin. And the unknown is, is come 2141, but probably much you know, before then, uh, what what do they actually mine in that block? What do they get out of that block? Sure. Well, and I, I like to point to another kind of historical Bitcoin moment, which is when Laszlo purchased uh, two pizzas for 10,000 Bitcoin. Do you guys know what the transaction fee he paid was? I do because I read your article. Guess. <laughs> uh, I don't know, five sets? One Bitcoin. Ha! <laughs> Today, uh, we pay, you know, I think each block, and we'd have to look, pull up like blockstream.info to see exactly what the transaction fee is, but tens or potentially hundreds of millions of sats in transaction fees. At today's price, it's not that bad. Like in the future, as the value of Bitcoin changes, 10 million sats could be an astronomical uh, fee to be paying. If, right? if enough people are using the base chain. But we know that the number of users of Bitcoin is continually increasing over time. But they might do this. They might always. They might be just be hodlers. That's They're great. All using the Lightning Network. That's that's number go up technology right there. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, you could have a scenario where people there just isn't the number of transactions to create. I don't think that that can ever be the case because. Uh, first of all, you have to make layer one transactions to use the Lightning Network. You have to settle your Lightning channels eventually. Like you have to manage channels, and so people will. Even if you're using the Lightning Network, you're always going to be at some point making L1 transaction, layer one transactions. And then on top of that, uh, the difficulty adjustment of Bitcoin ensures that Bitcoin is always paying the market rate for energy. Mm. Like if 
if it's not profitable for a majority of miners to mine Bitcoin at the current value and with the current transaction fee environment or subsidy environment, they'll shut off production. The difficulty adjustment kicks in and then it becomes profitable for somebody to mine at that value. Hmm. So the difficulty adjustment, I think, really takes care of a lot of this issue. Like it will always be profitable for somebody to be mining Bitcoin. No, I agreed. Yeah. But but how many people are competing to mine that Bitcoin and how much security is there at that time? I think, and bringing everything kind of back to energy, like one of my visions for the future is that energy production is also extremely localized, right? Yeah. So, you know, solar panels on your roof or whatever, or a local nuclear power plant or something, a, new, a little power plant that you can put in your backyard, something like that. Um, and you're, you're going to individually have that problem of uh, supply and demand for energy. So it's like, you're always going to need a tool to buy up any excess supply and monetizing any amount of that is better than shutting off production. So hash rate's basically just gone up forever. Yeah, it's on an all-time high right now. I mean, it but, crashed 40% when China banned Bitcoin. But that came back pretty quick. Oh my gosh, yeah, almost immediately. But do you think there's a time where like the sort of ratio between price and subsidy reached a point where it has to start dropping again? I don't think so because again, like and the the problem the problem that Bitcoin mining solves is not a Bitcoin problem, it's an energy problem. Like mm-hmm. we're always going to be imperfectly efficient at energy production. And this is a tool that energy producers can always use or rely on in a situation where they can't, you know, deliver the energy to, you know, people. Like it never competes with individuals for uh, energy. Like in the UK, I'm sure all Bitcoin miners have essentially shut off production. Yeah. Right. Because it's so expensive to buy energy there that it's we just don't have, we just, even before this, we just don't really have mining. Yeah, even, right. yeah, it's too expensive before that. Exactly. So it's like mining always goes to the places that is the remote stranded energy, the cheapest energy, the excess hydro, every single renewable energy um, setup should have ASICs on site because it's just a tool for them. Mm. So yeah, I don't think it'll ever be a problem. And I think the prediction articles that I've read have all made a lot of mistakes because they're trying to uh, measure the value of the security in like the dollar, but the dollar is changing value and the Bitcoin is changing value. And so you have to think about it from Austrian first principles um, in order to kind of have a deeper understanding of it, I think. Well, this wasn't the show we expected to make at all. Not at all. Yeah. Last point on that, though, before we close out. Um, that's like the argument that all the ETH people are going to now try and target, though, that like Bitcoin mining means you can't have a light on. Like now they've gone to proof of stake, that's going to be attacked like hard. Yeah. Well, they've you, already started, haven't they? Yeah. I mean, they started as soon as they knew. Like, their timing for that Dickhead. transition in terms of like trying to sort of spread FUD is perfect. Mm. Um, but do you worry about that? Like, what do you think about what Ethereum? I just, you know, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm maybe like naively optimistic about Bitcoin. Um, I think that because we have Bitcoin, um, the transition to sound money isn't going to be as catastrophic as some people are thinking. It's not going to be pleasant for people. Um, I think that the Ethereum uh, marketing is going to get more aggressive, but just the fact that Ethereum itself is inflation and they keep changing things and so it doesn't have a credible monetary policy 
And on top of that, it is money. Uh, it doesn't really do all that much else besides be money. You know, you can print your own money on top of their money. You can produce some tokens, some NFTs, which are again kind of like forms of money. So it's just money, but it's way crappier at being money than Bitcoin. And so no amount of marketing will ultimately overcome that. Um, yeah, is it going to get worse? Sure. I think what we're seeing is. Uh, a lot of there's more and more people that are waking up to this idea that Bitcoin mining actually fortifies the grid. Um, so we're already seeing articles, you know, here in Texas about during the recent heat wave, w- the grid was able to tap into one percent additional energy by just asking the miners to shut off production. And what's cool about mining is, yeah, you just flip a switch and then the energy is diverted somewhere else. Yeah. And then if they if there's too much energy, you just flip the switch back on, you start buying the cheap energy again. Mm. Um, so it's a really, again, super useful tool for energy production. Um, so yeah, I think I think the economic reality of the fact that Bitcoin is sound money will just overcome any sort of marketing that is levied against it as it has for the last 13 years. I mean, I was just talking to uh, some family members the other day. They're like, man, I've been hearing some really bad stuff about Bitcoin. And it's like, yeah, that's always been the case. There's never been a moment. I've been in Bitcoin for many years and it's always been dumped on by everybody, right? Mainstream media, governments, Shitcoiners, like everybody is constantly dumping on Bitcoin, but the thing is anti-fragile. It, it absorbs all that and becomes stronger. And the, I think the clearest example of that is, or one of the clearest examples, is when China banned mining last year. Yep. You saw a 40% crash in hash rate, and then it immediately hit you know all-time high again after the course of maybe like three months. And the the position that Bitcoin is in after the fact is way stronger than before because all that hash rate has dispersed across the globe. Yep. So when you try to ban this thing, uh, you you increase the level of decentralization of it. It's it gets stronger every time you attack it. Have you got that chart for uh, Harry? <laughs> yeah, I sent you, him that. You did. You got it. I'll pull it up. It's brilliant. So this is uh, every chart you need for Bitcoin. Whenever you have an argument with somebody discussing Bitcoin, just send them this. Find it. I tried to describe Bitcoin to some people by showing them the HODL waves to start. Didn't go that well. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. All right. Do you want to give a shout out to Unchained before we finish? Sure. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm Phil Geiger. I'm uh, managing director of Concierge at Unchained. And uh, what we do is we help people hold the private keys to their Bitcoin in a way that uh, you're not going to lose your Bitcoin. So one of the biggest problems with self-custody is the thought of like, oh, man, I make one mistake. I've lost my life savings. Uh, We use a type of address that has a bunch of redundancies so that if you lose a piece of information, you haven't lost your Bitcoin. This is all native to the protocol. It's multi-signature. And my team will help walk you through how to set this up from A to Z, and then we take care of people after the fact. What's cool about Unchained is from a position of extreme security, multi-signature addresses where you have the keys, you can then do a bunch of cool financial uh, products. Like you can hold Bitcoin in a retirement account in an IRA where you actually hold the keys. Uh, You can buy Bitcoin from us directly into cold storage. There's no other counterparties that you're dealing with. Uh, You can take a loan using your Bitcoin as collateral. We're really trying to build a 
full suite financial services company on top of this foundation of clients holding their own keys on top of multi-signature, which is again, just native to Bitcoin. It's one of the tools that Bitcoin affords us. Awesome, man. All right, Phil, good to see you. Please go and check out Unchained. Uh, We didn't plan to talk about any of this. So uh, yeah, here's what it is, man. Cheers. Cheers. Okay, thank you for listening to What Bitcoin Did. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Phil. If you're not feeling a little more bullish after hearing him discuss Bitcoin, then I don't know what I can do for you. Also, if you didn't check out the previous show with Parker Lewis, I think these two shows go really well together. So please do go and check that out. All right, listen, I've got to go and catch a plane. I'm heading out to California. Hope to see some of you crazy Bitcoiners out there. You got any questions about this or anything else, please hit me up. My email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. 